0: Welcome to the Outside and Active podcast. My name is Matt Coyne, and this week my good pal Don Brown talks to self-titled eco-explorer Mario Rigby. If you don't know who Mario is, you're going to love this episode. Mario completed a solo two-year, 12,000-kilometer voyage of discovery from Cape Town in South Africa through to Cairo in Egypt, completed entirely on foot and with a kayak. He's achieved a lot through his life, including racing against Usain Bolt back in the day. Before we dive into our conversation, we hear from our friends at Swarovski Optic and Whereabouts Holidays, our season sponsor for this podcast. Whereabouts are a newly relaunched travel agent sending people on their bucket list adventure holidays every year, from epic explorations, boundless backpackers to camper cruisers. You really will dig their tours. Visit whereaboutsholidays.com now. Whereabouts are you going?
1: Hello, my name is Peter Antonio. I'm head of Swarovski Optic here in the UK. If you don't know the brand, we're a premium optics manufacturer, so we're producing binoculars and telescopes. We are based in Austria, so in the Austrian Alps, so really nature is is part of us. We um, are producing optics for hopefully people that want to enjoy being outdoors, experiencing wildlife. Um, We have binoculars, and there's a range of binoculars from pockets, lightweight, compact, If you do a lot of hiking, easily fit in a pocket or a rucksack. And then we've got the more traditional, larger binoculars that um, will give you higher magnifications. They will give you a a wider field of view and perhaps a little bit more specialist. We also do telescopes as well for long range optics. So, Shroisky Optic, come and visit our website. Full range of products on the website for you to look and hopefully be persuaded to buy
2: well, he did say you were tough in two years. Huh? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, it can't be as tough as the police officer that put me into jail. So
3: Yeah, so let's, let, let's, start, let's start with that. You, um, <laughs> we'll start with that. <laughs> we'll start with that. We'll kick straight into it. So let's introduce you. Mario, it's, it's a pleasure right. to be speaking to you today. Thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm. Um, you're an incredible adventurer. We're at the National Outdoor Expo, just listening to you talk. And I think the host on the stage actually said it best. He could have listened to you talk about your adventures and all the things that you experienced all day. And you're, only, you're on there for 45 minutes and you got through a lot. So we can kind of pick up bits, bits here. But to begin with, um, give people an introduction of who you are and kind of how you fell into adventuring and where you are now. Yeah, so I'm an eco-explorer. I've kind of
2: named myself that. And an eco-explorer is someone that does sustainable expeditions. And sustainability to me doesn't just mean like the environment, but it's also social And it's doing things that impact uh, future generations as well. And future generations that aren't just, um, you know, people that are used to being in that space, but also diverse people um, around the world who've never had the opportunity to be in those spaces. And so what I try to do is figure out how to get those people access. I always ask the question, you know, if um, you want to help the world, what's the best way to do it? Get everyone involved. And you can only get everyone involved when everyone has access to the outdoors.
3: Yeah. And before you got involved in the outdoors, you were actually uh, representing your country in something completely different. Talk about that track, track, right?
2: Yeah, that was my dream. And I, you know, from time to time, I'll still have fantasies about it. <laughs> it's not too late. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it is. Um, you know, I used to run the 240 meter um, sprint and um, I, I competed for Turks and Caicos Islands. And so we've done a lot of international track meets together. Um, I've run against Usain Bolt back in the day when I was 15 years <laughs> old. He was 14. In front of and, him, uh, of course. Yeah, uh, definitely. <laughs> I wish, you know, I, I don't think anyone has ever been in front of Usain except for maybe a couple of times. Like, <laughs> I don't even think people know what that feels like.
3: No, he's always in <laughs> the front.
2: He's always in the front, yeah. <laughs> And when we were kids, this guy would just, you know, in the 400 meters, he would literally, he would just, he would play with us. He really? would do, the, He would play, yeah. They, they had this method, they, they would yo-yo us. So they like, like make it seem like I have a chance. And then they would just pull <laughs> away and then they would just like slow down again.
3: When he first burst onto the scene in the Olympics, I think it was 2008, you could almost see in the last 15 to 20 meters, he just kind of it. He just pulled up and took it all in. Effectively, it
2: was intense. And you know what? Actually, that was, so that was the second time he he was in the Olympics. The first time he actually competed, I think it was the 200 meter sprint, and he got disqualified. So he didn't even he did like the first time he didn't even make the finals.
3: Oh wow! Yeah. knowledge, right? So moving from Usain Bolt, who is a one source of athlete and <laughs> and and, and yeah, adventurer as such, but to what you do. So you've done an incredible adventure challenge. You went all the way from Cape town in South Africa to Cairo in Egypt. How does someone go about thinking of that?
2: (sighs) (laughs) Did that translate through the podcast? Yeah. Um, You you know what? And it's kind of a story of a lot of things kind of aligning together. Um, You know, one of them is when I was on stage, I talked about uh, watching black panther when i was a kid with my brother and uh, before the black panther t'challa became that Mm. he decided to go on this walkabout around africa and you know in in a lot of rural africa tribal africa um those people do that as a kind of uh journey to 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 become adults right so they go from like teenagehood to to manhood and and I just thought that was very inspiring, and I thought that was very beautiful, especially this episode where, you know, he saw all these beautiful um, scenes, and, the, the, you know, the atmosphere was great. He got robbed. He fell in love with this girl, like kind of all at the same time. And um, there was a lot of danger and beauty involved in this. And so I was always attracted to that. It was in the back of my mind. He didn't walk the length of Africa, but he, like, you know, did a walkabout. And, um, and I thought to myself, you know what, you know, coming from track and field, being injured and not feeling fulfilled in life, I felt like I gotta. I have one more chance left, and that's when I turned twenty nine. And I said, "I'm gonna do something so epic that you know it's like it's gonna completely radically change my life." And I started thinking about what that could be. It took me a whole year to figure this out, and I was just like intensely trying to figure out what 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 is my ultimate passion. And it started with like you know oh I'm gonna you know, do a travel trip around the world kind of thing to eventually leading to, I'm going to walk the length of Africa. And when I, when I confirmed in my brain that I'm going to do this, I think I had anxiety for about a month, like actually like actual anxiety for an entire month.
3: Saying it's one thing, but actually then doing it. I mean, adventurers and and people that do explorations of whatever level might listen to that and think, okay, well, there must be so much planning going in, you know, exact routes. Mm-hmm. But correct me if I'm wrong, you did the route on just Apple Maps or Google Maps. <laughs> um, so a lot
2: of it was mixed. Now, I mean, you remember, like, the length of Africa is enormous, it's insanely enormous. We're talking about um, over 12,000 kilometers of distance. And um, what you learn about a place, like, say, in, when I was in South Africa, Whatever happened, and by the time I got to Mozambique, the landscape has changed. Mm. Like, you know, there's conflicts or the Chinese have built new roads. It's really like, you know, it's pointless to just like plan months and months ahead. Particularly in Africa, it's such a quick, uh, it's like a very, um, it's a quickly growing um, economy in a lot of those countries. Ethiopia is one of the fastest growing economies in the world. Um, Kenya is intense. They got like these 10 lane roads. You know, those are things I never expected until I got there. And we don't necessarily advertise them here in the West either. That's
3: very true. And Africa is a beautiful continent. I've been to to, to different places um, a few times, but I'm sure there were times where it was difficult. There were things that cropped up. You've spoken before about you've been arrested a few times over there Mm -hmm. What what was sort of some of the challenges of of, of walking and adventuring and that distance?
2: Well, I'm going to tell you a boring one first, and that is um, uh, literally just boredom, just being alone. Um, so my biggest worry at first was, you know, being lonely to the point where you're going to harm yourself. Or, you know, because when you're bored or when you're like lonely, you start to look for distractions. You know, like even like small little pains becomes pleasure in a sense because you're like, oh man, I want to feel something. I need to feel something. I can, this monotonous like walking, 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 walking for 10 hours a day, every single day was uh, becoming uh, a bit daunting. And so that to me was actually one of my biggest fears is like being psychologically um, effed up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
3: Did you yeah. hallucinate
2: at all? Like, were there times oh, when yeah. you start so,
3: questioning yourself and definitely. what you're actually thinking? And like you said, being my right. my
2: most beautiful hallucination was uh, in Cape Town, actually on the coast, and um, I had actually run out of water, and I'm on the beach, and I call this a death uh, beach, death trap, where you've walked about 120 kilometers up the coastline, and the next village is about 70 kilometers ahead. So, and you can't go inland and obviously you can't go in the water. The water is just rough, right? And sharks are just basically um, scavenging the areas and you can't go into the bush because then you have puff adder and and black mamba snakes and venomous spiders that with, with no um, um, access to hospitals or anything like that, you're basically screwed. So I ran out of water and I could see my life timeline kind of (laughs) going down like a video game. It was literally, it was literally a video game where you could see the time, like you're basically like, Oh, okay. I have this long to live. I have this long to live. And eventually I ran out and, um, I was very close. I think I was, um, about a day and a half away from my destination. So so close. And so I miscalculated how much water I should have drank. Yeah. And, um, I remember passing out kind of like just before, um, uh, you know, the, the sunset and, um, I'm laying down, I'm looking up at the sky and there was this like bird the seagull that just kind of flew over me and i remember like as it looked at me i felt like the bird just like i warped into the bird's perspective yeah looking down at myself on the beach thinking like whoa this is trippy and i remember like seeing myself on the beach laying down with like a trail of blood going into the water and so for me, yeah, I understood that was a hallucination, but I also understood that as a kind of a symbol or um, a kind of interpretation. Mm. And to me, that interpretation was that you know, as I'm dying, I'm I'm, I'm kind of emerging myself back into nature, yeah. and you feel this like super connection with everything, and that's actually where I feared death for the last time.
3: And is is that still very vivid with you? Like you, the way you recall it is very like, like it's just happened. Is it, does it stick with you? Like, does it scare you? It's, 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 um,
2: it's, it's like hauntingly beautiful. If that makes any sense. Yeah. It's like, it's, you respect it. You know what I mean? Cause it's death is like one of the most common things in the universe. And, um, we've, our brains have basically gone against wanting to, to, to expire. Right. Mm. And, um, and so, it's a very hard concept to conceptualize in your head,
3: you know? <laughs> and you must've had moments like that, but was there a time that you just went, what, what, what am I doing here? <laughs> like, what, What is going on?
2: So I had a strong enough purpose to not question that ever. I never wow. questioned like, what am I doing here? Or man, I'm just going to take a taxi and go back and fly back home. Mm-hmm. I had no choice. When I left Canada, I left everything behind. I left my job. I left my friends. I left, um, I left everything. I have my home sold everything. Wow! And so I had like a one chance opportunity to, to do this. And with this, um, opportunity, I also realized that like I could, com- I could change the landscape of what explorers could look like in the future. And so having representation was really important for me. Yeah, absolutely. So I felt like if, I, if something happened to me, I'd be super embarrassed and, you know, people be like, "Ah, you see, that's why they can't do this." And, and that, you know, I know that sounds like ridiculous to say, but
3: um, I needed to survive. You had that motivation all the way yeah, through, yeah. And you spoke about boredom and not having people there, but traveling all that distance, you must have met so many incredible people and so many people. Did you have people join with you as well? Yeah, so that was wild. And
2: um, it, you know, so weirdly enough, I had a lot of Africans join me, but I also had a lot of Germans. Really. Yeah, there was a lot of Germans in, Af- in East Africa.
3: They're already out like,
2: there. Just... there was, well, just, uh, travelers yeah. or, you know, tourists. And they'd be like, yeah, hello, Um, is it okay if I join you? And I was like, what? It's a little crazy. <laughs> and um and so they would join me for like maybe a couple of days or a few days kind of here and there. Like So if I made it to a backpackers or in, in a town, then, you know, usually that's why I would like meet people kind of thing. And once I've met them and they've, I've, I've told them my story, I think people were very interested to 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 join me and because they wanted, because I think they were quite clever. They understood that this is like something very rare mm. and why not take that opportunity, you know? And at the same time, I'm also being entertained by someone else. And
3: w- why was it Africa? Was it the sheer scale of it?
2: It was a lot of reasons, like going back to my roots, human roots, actually. Um, originally, I wanted to do uh, the East African, um, sorry, the yeah, the East African route because that historically has been known where the oldest remains of humans um, had come from that eventually left Africa and then had gone around the world, right? And so I wanted to retrace the footsteps of the first people about 70,000 years ago that left Africa.
3: Okay, interesting. So, if I had to put you on the spot and nail, nail you down to either the most beautiful moment or something that you saw on that journey or that adventure, what would you? You, you can pick a couple if you're really yeah, if you're really yeah, struggling. Yeah, uh, but like, is either something picturesque or a moment or a person that you met?
2: Ethiopia, the Simeon Mountains, uh, the Rift Valley, which is essentially um, the like this crack in the world and like on, on Earth, literally on the mantle that's, like, separating Africa, right? And um, it, it just looks so beautiful. And it just looks, when you're on top, you're surrounded by indigenous um, uh, vegetation and animals that don't exist anywhere outside of the Simian Mountains. And it's about 2,000 to 3,000 meters up high. So you're constantly on this, like, plateau, and you're just, like, watching eagles from the top. And there's like this mist and a waterfall that like disappears. Never, it, it looks like it doesn't even hit the ground. That's how high it is. Like it goes it's, into an abyss. Oh, yeah. Right? And a lot of people haven't been to those places because, you know, I feel like Africa isn't exactly the biggest, des- you know, tourist destination in the world. Um, people would rather go to Europe or other places in the world or the Caribbean. But there's just so much beauty there that, you know, I and my my wish is that, those people like utilize that and they they, they take that in and, and create like kind of like an eco or sustainable um, uh, tourism industry there.
3: Yeah, it's definitely like said earlier, a beautiful continent, beautiful Mm. places there. And another, maybe a tough question. What do you think is the most important thing that you learn? It can be from that journey. It can be from that adventure. It can be just from anything that you've done. What Mm. do you think is the most important thing that you've learned either as a human being or Mm. actually, you are know, practically in adventure? Um, I would say it's uh, allowing myself to be vulnerable.
2: I think a lot of men in our generation, we've been uh, taught classical ways of being a man. And, um, you know, I was taught by a lot of uh, warriors actually, because, you know, along my journey, I got to visit a lot of uh, remote tribes and a lot of them had, had um, these warriors. Some of them were even female warriors, like, literally, they would just like wear leather skirts with machetes. Mm. <laughs> it was, like, really intense, yeah. And these men, they were, like, massive, tall, like the Maasai men, you know, for instance. Yeah, the Maasai yeah. men are yeah. incredibly tall. Yeah, they like <laughs> just like, whoa. And, but they're so soft-spoken, you know, when, when you do interact with one of them. And, you know, they'd be like, how are you today? And there's just, like, the softness about them and the vulnerability of of allowing their emotions to to be expressed because that was probably one of the hardest things that um, I had to deal with growing up because like, you know, like my dad was in the military and stuff like that. So he's like always being super tough. Mm. And, um, you know, so I thought I had to be this tough person all the time, which, you know, I I kind of started to unlearn that and like just, you know, unravel. So I essentially um, like became my own therapist. So when you're on a journey like that, you have to become your own best friend. It's either that or you become your enemy. And when mm-hmm. you're your enemy in a, a self-war, then you
3: don't last. It's really interesting and that you say about that. And it's probably not um, probably the, the main reason you've done this and, and gone into this lifestyle, but you have amassed the following. And I'm sure you're aware you probably inspire so many different people. Is thats that... Is that- it's a good thing is it a scary thing but are you quite proud of the fact that you inspire a next generation of adventurers Um, I've never (laughs) I've never seen myself as being proud of
2: doing that of inspiring I feel like um, I do what I love and I think having the following really makes me become more responsible for what I love to do Um, so it's not just like doing it lazily but now I'm just like wow okay now I gotta really step up my game um, not because I feel like I have to, but because um I can mm. and I think there's i think that's that 's a great feeling when you 're doing something that 's just greater than you know than just for yourself um that adds that extra bit of um of of love and um and passion behind what i do
3: amazing so what 's next, <laughs> uh, next for mario rigby uh what 's <laughs> next for mario Rigby?
2: uh that 's uh a lot of stuff so I have um tv shows in the works uh um you know there's a canadian one and then there's an american one and um so actually it's funny last year about 40 different production companies reached out and wow. yeah it was insane um and i finally nailed it down to this one and um so we began actually uh creating the pilot in in, in may and uh, we've decided to do the pilot alongside my expedition, which is a traverse of the Bahama Islands from Turks and Caicos to Miami, which is a, um, uh, you know, that's a, quite a lengthy uh, kayaking expedition yeah, yeah. across uh, in p- parts of the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and it's it's basically a lead up to a bigger expedition where eventually I want to traverse the entire
3: length of the Atlantic Ocean from from uh, from ghana africa to brazil wow amazing and where can people go to to follow along and see what's next for you um best is to go on instagram at mario rigby or my website with
2: my website pretty much has everything and you'll see like a lot of beautiful photos of my africa journey and other adventures that i've done as well all right it's been an absolute pleasure and good luck
0: for the future appreciate it thank you so much for having me we hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation with mario rigby on the outside and active podcast don't forget to check out our episode partners, optic.com and also our season partner, whereaboutsholidays.com. If you've enjoyed listening to the Outside and Active podcast, please do leave us a review over on Apple podcast or subscribe at outsideandactive.com forward slash sign up for not just podcast episodes, but other content built to inspire you to lead a healthy and active lifestyle outdoors. Until next time, enjoy the outside.